Hey everybody, uh, it's Matt. I just wanted to come on for the episode to apologize for how long it's been since our last episode. And um, there's two reasons for that. One is just our schedules were out of whack and we couldn't get together to record anything. And then the second one, which you will hear, is the audio on our recording was somehow really, 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 really screwed up. And I don't know how that happened. Um, and as a non-audio engineer, I've done my best to uh, correct it a little bit. Hopefully it's not too bad, um, but I just wanted to say that um, up front and to let you know that hopefully we're going to be back sooner rather than later and hopefully finish up 2312 by the end of the year um, so that we can move on to another book. Um, okay, so... Please enjoy the episode, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Changed the voice. What said recording in progress instead of? Oh, maybe that's was what they recording has started. No, it doesn't say that. Yeah, I think it says recording in progress. Anyway, I have an obsessive number of books, which is what you said before, but I just yeah. told your line. Yeah. I keep buying books, and it's like I cannot read that. I'm keeping a list. The last couple of years, I've kept been keeping a list of the books that I read, and like complete because I'm a completionist. I can't stop reading once I start a book, even if I hate it. And I can only read roughly about 43 books per year, like less than one a week, roughly. But I definitely buy more than 43 books per year. And I already have more than 43 books per year for the rest of my life. So I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I go back and forth on like, I mean, I'm just, I'm right now, I'm sitting at my, uh, what what you might think was my dining table <laughs> uh but i never dine at this table what it is for is for organizing stacks of books that i haven't read and also now pamphlets too books and pamphlets <laughs> it really um and the other day somebody was over here the other day and they were like oh you have stacks. There are multiple places where you have stacks of books. And I was like, because also in the kitchen, there is a stack of books. And then by the chair that I sit in to read, there are two stacks of books, one of which is are the ones that I'm actively reading. And the other are the ones that I think I'm going to get to next. And then on my desk are stacks of books that are books that I'm going to teach, but I haven't sorted through yet. See, this is where it helps to have a partner who you are like at least a roommate who you could be embarrassed about being all yeah. your chaos. Like mine all have to be confined to my office and to like my nightstand next to the bed because otherwise there are more books on the nightstand. Right. Okay. Of course. Cause otherwise it spreads out and it would be, it would be literally everywhere. And then she would like 
tell me to clean them up and I would have to stack them where they belong in my in my office. But as long as they're in my office, she can't say, you know, she has no right to say this is a mess. It's like, right. well, that's my mess. It's in my office that right. you pay the rent for. I find it, I find it very comforting. I mean, I'm not, it's not lost on me that the books are partly like, you know, yeah. It is a fortress. And it does yeah. say, like, don't worry. If worse comes to worst, it wouldn't be so bad because you could just fucking read all the time. Exactly. Burgess Meredith, Twilight Zone. I mean, this is, I really feel like there's something about me keeping still buying books, even when I know that I'm, that I can never read them all. That is about like, it is a um, disaster prep for it's academics. Prep. Yeah. Yeah. It's or moving like, to New Zealand. It's having, it's living in a missile silo. Yeah. It's, you know, growing hydroponics. It's uh, buying, buying real estate with an aquifer underneath it. This for me is, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We won't, we'll, we'll starve because we didn't buy cans of food, but guess what? Right. We won't be bored. I mean, I have been since the, since lockdown started, which is what? more than 18 months ago right? before so, time itself yeah uh yeah um uh i have been getting up almost routinely now at like five in the morning and reading before i do the things that get me ready for the work day and the weirdest part about it is that i've been getting up and reading like mostly like marxist theory that's yeah, really heavy theory that's yeah mostly what i've been doing and i and that also I get it really like at first I felt like I couldn't read novels anymore and that was really troubling and I've gotten over that I am really relieved by that but like I still am like you know and I wake up and I'm like oh god it's so dark it's like black outside it's so early in the morning and then I think oh well I can I can go in there and I can I can read a little communization theory and it feels I feel briefly happy <laughs> there is a danger of like yeah the compensatory nature of reading theory when it's like you know what you're supposed to be doing is organizing and instead like yeah no if i read more theory if i read enough theory the bad men will go away yeah i mean yeah exactly it's like well i'll finally understand the situation <laughs> the truth is no there's just like i uh, I worry that we actually have a sufficiently good understanding of the situation and that, you know, like, uh, uh, and our understanding is that we're fucked and that's like, uh, yeah, you know, but you have to find something that gives you the sense, you know, activates that sense of hope. Yeah. Or that just to get through another day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, hello. Oh, hello. It's Marooned on Mars with Matt and Hillary. We're doing cold opens now. That's the big innovation of the show. Yeah. You know, 110 episodes in, three and a half years. <laughs> We're now doing yeah. cold opens. Cold opens. Hey, first step, cold opens. Yeah. Second step. Uh, advertisements for boner pills <laughs> and mattresses. Exactly. You can find us on Stitcher Premium. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. that they would be excited to have our powerful show i have one thing to say before we get started on and it's been so long since we've actually done one it's kind of a shame it's been almost a month because of our schedules and our whatevers but um but we're back and um we had another i want to say something about spoilers <laughs> at the oh. beginning because we had another uh lovely listener who loves our show and we love 
them uh, say, hey, please don't spoil other Kim Stanley Robinson books for us because we haven't read them all. And it's, it is really hard, I think, for us not to do it. And I was thinking about why it's hard for us not to do this. And it's because what you're listening to, listener, is basically a three and a half year conversation so far and counting between me and Hillary about these books that we're reading. So it's like, it's not like we're, we've divided up into seasons based on the book we're reading, but it actually is just like big, long flowing conversation that is continuing to evolve as we like analyze these these works. And also like as the universe continues to crumble around us (laughs) and we look for these compensations within this kind of broader thing. So but it is really hard for us not to do it, but we should also uh, be a little bit more mindful of of that fact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like, um, uh, yes, I agree. I mean, I do think it it is also a habit of like, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a habit that comes from a particular way of of thinking about like how you think through a, a text. And in this case, doing a thing that I think it's maybe more familiar for you and your academic work, right? Which is thinking about like the an author or in your case, a director's sort of oeuvre, right? Like, which is not something that in my own work I, I tend to do, but I do it more teaching science fiction than yeah. I do when I taught like um, Victorian, Victorian stuff, right? Right. Um, but that is so that like, you know, you're, you both are always like thinking about like how the episodic part of something fits into the whole. And so we do it more with books. I think that we know really that we know better, right? Like 2312, I feel like I have a kind of grasp. I remember, I mean, I'm in my like now third reading of it, but despite that, like, you know, I don't, I feel like we're only sort of putting together the whole, but for things like Aurora, for example, like that is a book that like, when you want to ask questions about Aurora, the question about what's happening in an individual part of it does kind of have to be put in relation to certain, actually to certain like narrative elements that turn out like they turn out to matter. And I feel like this, and then, you know, similarly, like when we're thinking about one of Stan's books, we just increasingly started thinking about them as like kind of a body of work that like speaks in complicated ways, you know, uh, in which the, the, the individual novels speak in complicated ways to each other. And so I think that those habits, which are, I think they're academic habits, although I don't think only academics read that way, like, but those are pretty ingrained in us. And so we do often reach to those kinds of things for meaning in, in ways that like, it very rarely occurs to me that I'm saying something that somebody would be like, oh God, I wish I didn't know that i mean like to me too it's i mean i was thinking another another way of thinking about about it is that if like uh i knew that citizen that um rosebud was a sled long before i ever saw citizen kane i think i probably knew that spoiler alert darth vader is luke skywalker's father long before i saw empire strikes back and it didn't necessarily ruin it ruined the surprise for me but it did inform my viewership in a different way right like you're still kind of if you're if the text is working you're still sort of with the characters in their discovery or whatever or you're you're in that you know you're seeing the pattern unfold basically maybe from a different perspective or with a different knowledge but you're still seeing it unfold and you can appreciate it in a kind of detached way or or at a kind of just in a kind of different way so but then yeah that is not how probably most 
readers who are not crazy enough to pursue graduate school in the humanities um, deal with text or approach texts rather. Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, uh, one, I think we can just like always just try to be better about it. And also remember, I guess when we're doing books to like really in episode zero to really <laughs> warn people that we might do we might do that look uh, if you if you want to listen to this season of shows you should read every book kim stanley robinson has read before you start this one and and also written. you should read. read not only not only every book that kim stanley robinson has written but every book that he's read right exactly which we'll get to at the end of this episode and you know the reason that matt and i are essentially like failures in so many ways in our lives is because we are willing to talk about these books without having read every book that the author himself has read well of course if i had like read more <laughs> uh my dissertation would have been so much better oh, so and i would better. have yeah, exactly. had so much more confidence in putting it out there into the world and trying to get it published. And then I'd be yeah. a tenured professor and I wouldn't be, you know, messing around with this a rinky dink podcast. We'd be so happy. Can you imagine how happy we'd be if we were tenured professors? Oh God. I mean, <laughs> they seem like really happy people to me. <laughs> it actually makes me feel, feel really sad to imagine a happy tenured professor because how, fucked up they must be to live in a world where they're happy i mean like to just like what kind of what kind of world do they see out of their eyes that it would allow them to feel happy about their about anything yeah yeah i mean like who is it you know like at this point who gets to be like insulated from like the feelings of the world i mean that like you know like what how much money do you need to make a year to like reach i mean one you could just be like i don't know somebody who's like a basically kind of a dum-dum with cotton wool in your ears but like how much money do you have to make to be insulated you know i mean definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> well because even the people who you know like they're even the people who reject reality entirely and are like refusing to get vaccinated or wear masks or drive with a seatbelt on or who are rolling coal or whatever, even they are like angry all the time. Right, right. They feel, <laughs> right, they feel buffeted by the world, right? I mean, that, that's yeah. their response. That is their response to it. Right, Instead exactly. of being yeah. sad and depressed and sleeping all day, they get right out there and scream in people's faces and spit in the faces of children. And with yeah, their, or like, or go to like, you know, Dallas and like sing We Are the World. Or the, <laughs> location where kennedy was shot <laughs> they were doing it's just a whole world full of psychotic behavior good god good god but the other thing just to you know like um uh make a little a hinge into the book right i think that the question of spoilers like is actually kind of interesting to think about in relation to 2312 in which like a lot happens um, yeah. but like uh, could you spoil this book? I mean, one, I don't think you could spoil it because every everything is so everything is so local, right? You know, like so and um but the only thing I can think, spoiler alert, this happened, we talked about this in episode two or three or something. The only thing I think that you could spoil is that Terminator gets destroyed. Right. But like otherwise, like I mean, as we've talked about before, like it doesn't feel like that there is a plot here that you could, you know, that like if I told you the plot, then it would have 
does that even reveal anything yeah. what this book is about? I kind of feel like it doesn't. Yeah, that's the thing about spoilers is that a spoiler would be is something that ruins something about what the overall text is quote unquote about rather than like an individual event. So it's usually about an individual event or how the film ends or something like that. But that ending is always the reason it's a spoiler is because the meaning of the text as a whole depends upon how it ends or upon like one specific event, right? Like here, if we were to say the only, yeah, the only spoiler would be like the destruction of Terminator. If, here, if we were to say before anybody had even started reading the book, the earth is repopulated by animals that had been grown <laughs> on asteroids. No one would know like, well, what the, f what? okay, fine. And then they, or they'd say, oh, you spoiled the book for me. And then they read it and like, well, that wasn't really a spoiler because it doesn't really, its meaning is like itself obscure. Like its meaning doesn't really, even the people who do it, don't really know what it means. And then in the book itself, it says like the meaning of this event would take many decades to reveal itself as important. And then it doesn't like tell us why it's important. Exactly. And it doesn't tell us why it's important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that is clearly the way in which this is like, you know, this book, I mean, not, not that this is not the case in like, I think every KSR novel, but this is a book that's so much and in like a way that is often quite playful about like, where are the places where our ideas about what history is and our ideas about what the future is or how the future gets made like where do those things kind of come together and where do they kind of fall apart you know and that seems to me to be part of the way in which this novel uses the far uses the far future as a as a way of like making us sort of like both think about like what we can kind of you know that our sort of like our account of history has something to do with the way that we then you know like imagine what it means to get to a future um but also that the imagining of a future um like um uh is is, is something that's like actually like full of blank spots or gaps or aporias or whatever just like you know there's always there's like this kind of like leaping over you know so yeah. the question the question of cause right which we've talked about i think before i think is just being played with constantly in this in this novel in a way that's quite interesting because like i think that's something that's addressed um in the mars trilogy particularly with like um extreme seriousness it's seriousness and with like political urgency you know um uh and i mean and and a great deal of and also like a great deal of subtlety too and here i i think that that there is a kind of those kinds of questions about like cause um matter a lot but they are but i think that they are address and, and this is also in some ways i think a very serious book right i mean i'm not saying it's unserious but but there is a way in which that is given to us quite playfully and in the mode of kind of just like you know like refusing to connect the dots for us which i think is a mode that then in um and this i don't doesn't spoil anything in ministry or in new york 2140 like really get you know gets deployed quite a lot of like you know right. here, here you know here's something right? You fit, you figure it out, right? And there are probably lots of different stories that you could tell here, right? And those stories are going to depend on your historical location. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that like, comparing it, I mean, again, like this is what makes avoiding spoilers difficult is, is we inevitably start comparing 
I mean, not this to other KSR novels, which actually, which actually wasn't our intention at all when we first started this podcast. Generally, we were just going to read the Mars books, and then it just became a de facto KSR uh, <laughs> podcast, which is fine, which is good. Um, but to compare it to those other books, yeah, like in relation to the Mars one, it, there does feel like a more like a almost like a um, a comedy aspect to this. Yeah. yeah comedic not that it's like laugh out loud funny but that like you know swan getting stuck in a hole with a wolf that's kind of funny <laughs> it is funny it, it ends in i mean spoiler alert well you should have already read all of 2312 by now if you're listening to this it ends in a wedding you know it has yeah. that kind of that kind of en comedy ending as well um so yeah in in that sense um of being more playful and less willing to be explicit about connecting dots um and having like a a settled ending because i don't think the ending of this book is settled either yeah um yeah. in a way that mars not that not to say that the mars trilogy is completely settled but that it's it's much more settled i would say than than this one is um anyway yeah um and i wonder too that you're like you, the two that you brought up were ministry and new york 2140 and those like, solutions are so like kind of concrete and both also like grounded in like political economy Right. And so I wonder like how that how that grounding versus this one where the political economy is like radically different already. Right. And right. also like the big hinge point is this reintroduction of animals, which doesn't have an immediately transparent from our perspective bearing on political economy, how that like ambiguity here relates to the kind of fetishized clarity that economics has for us looking at the next 100 150 years like ministry in new york do yeah i mean i think that's a really question good question and i think that like um like here let me rephrase it for yeah. why is political economy to us a more concrete solution than something like rewilding landscape restoration landscape art animal husbandry whatever like those and yeah, so that, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I think this is, you know, like this is something that we talked about a lot with ministry and that um, the, this is what we wrote about in that little review essay too, basically, which is like, yes. So on the one hand, like this is a book that feels like it's all about solutions, um, but as a novel, you know, including as, as an SF novel, um, you know, formally, um, and in the relation of its like actually quite various contents to its form, um, it actually is quite it's quite open, you know, and and ends up being at least in our reading of ministry, like in many ways about um, like what's unresolvable in in human life, and that is like you know both you know the long persistence of mourning and and life after trauma and also in the end like love right i mean and these things are i mean and this book is you know and that's kind of an interesting this is also i think a book that like um is is about love in a lot of ways right and that and not in a way in which like that gets like sealed off or answered by any sort of like concluding moment right you know or you could read it as sealed off and answered by a concluding moment but i think I think it's also there to refuse it. So I think that's a really interesting, to me, that's the thing that's interesting about ministry because if it just was like, I'm going to give you 
right. this like well-written and very intelligent argument about like the carbon coin idea. I'm going to give you this like um, uh, interesting and maybe surprising sort of like defense of like bureaucratic mechanisms as necessary for right, blah, 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 blah. If it was just those, if it was those things, like, well, it would be a very different book. And, you know, like, uh, George Monbiot would have written it. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I think he already did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's not what it is, right? You know, and that's that's because like and there and that it is not that then also lets you ask questions that you couldn't a ask in relation to somebody confidently telling you like what is to be done. So like this makes this makes me reflect on COP26, and I swear to God, we'll start talking about the book. But just I'll say this one thing. You know, they invited Stan, and he went, and he was on a in a kind of a interview, sit-down interview with somebody from COP26. That's kind of all. I mean, I know that he gave a lecture in Glasgow at a church, and maybe and he was probably involved in all kinds of other ways that I hope to learn about. But I think like, you know, one of the things that he kept sort of was writing in the press was like why do why do they invite a science fiction author and be, uh to this to this meeting and because you need the vision and the answer is like you need the vision of a future with a narrative and like people and like i think if if they really wanted to have him there they should have run a creative writing workshop <laughs> he should have like he should have like given everybody the assignment of write a poem about love <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like that would be a real reason to have a science fiction writer at cop 26 because rather than to for the reason that it seems like they had him this book is a big hit it's got a lot of solutions in it we can use him to say as an artist type to say all we need to do is mint this carbon coin and like blah 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 like the interview i don't really remember them talking much about obviously characters or plot or anything like that right, right. Um, so you know it, it it's probably to be expected that it that he would be kind of presented in that way and i don't want to like presume to um relate his experience because i don't know how he feels about the event or how or his experience of it but it's probably you know um i don't know the question of like um how they kind of deployed him is one that would be interesting to sort of examine from a critical perspective. I mean, and if, you know, like I, obviously this is like a hobby horse of mine, so I won't, I won't hobby it too long, but like, you know, the, the kind of, um, you know, everywhere from like public humanities councils to universities to like, you know, um, uh whatever you know to the un or whatever uh is really into this language of like how can we imagine different futures um but like your point about like well it should be a creative writing workshop is you know part of what that points out is like to just say let's imagine different futures like that idea of what the imagination is is like either that it's just like really easy for any person to just like oh you can imagine something different right um which i think is like this incredibly like you know um whatever like defanged bourgeois idea about what the imagination is because of course you can't just fucking imagine something different you know like not when you're like immersed in the empirical valley in such a way that like you know you, you can barely breathe right 
Um, and that like that imagination in that way, it, like what it's an act or like a process, right? It is something that like you do and you do it through doing certain kinds of practices and practices that are in contact with your material surroundings, you know, like, um, and I mean, and that's also why we read science fiction. We don't read science fiction. I mean, you know, like we can get a lot of pleasure out of reading SF when you're like, this world seems really cool and I want to live in it, you know? Like this is the terrarium I would want to live in, you know? But like, what's interesting about it is when you're thinking about living in that terrarium and then you're thinking like, what would it be like if like there was, you know, no horizon, right? Or like, what would it be like to actually be enclosed all the time, right? Um, so then like that casts you back onto your empirical valley and then you do like have to like look out of it in one way or another, right? And it's that process, right? It's not the like, it's not the generating of some like static idea or an imagination of something. It's like that process that allows for the possibility, I think, of of moving in some kind of way, as opposed to like being stuck. And that I, you know, and that I think is like, um, you know, it's like I think a lot about how often people quote like that line that Ursula Gwynn said at whatever ceremony it was about like, you know, um, you know, divine right of uh, kings. the divine right of kings. And like that's a great line, man. But like, you know, just like read an Ursula Le Guin novel and you're gonna have like a million thoughts that are harder to have and better to have than that line, you know, like right. don't encapsulate these like, you know, like uh yeah anyway you know what I'm well, and part of and we and we this part of that goal of capitalist culture in general if you can call it culture is to make us feel not only stuck but comfortable being stuck or if not comfortable yeah. then the futility of trying to get unstuck yeah and like these kinds of um great lines about the divine right of kings or imagining the future or whatever they're fine but they also become through overuse through use platitudes that people right. just fall back on and utilitarianize and um or the or like the little you know a little like fetish like adorno talking about music right you know like <laughs> yeah right yeah. you know like but and you can buy it yeah buy it yeah well i mean i'm sure yeah you we could sell these at tj maxx like little placards that say divine right of king you probably can buy them at tj maxx laugh live love laugh right <laughs> JKL, just keep living. That's Matthew McConaughey's <laughs> campaign slogan for when he becomes the governor of Texas and makes it okay for not to be vaccinated. All right. All right. Okay. Extracts 15. So we left off, we cut off uh, because we talked too much and we've already spoken like for a million years already. But um, oh my God, right. So we're on Extracts 15. This one's about um, brains and stuff and um, fear, play, surprise, courage. Um, fear is a constant on anger. Animals never unlearn a bad fear, and we are animals. Pilo erection. Um, that means like your hair standing on end. Hair standing on end. I looked that up. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I looked it up on WebMD. Oh no, do I have pilo erection? <laughs> um. Getting to be that age, folks, when you've got to worry about pilo erection. <laughs> oh, God. Um, 
good, dear. Play teaches mammals how to handle surprises. I, I love that line. That's so good. So good. Um, good. And then the bad becoming normal, that feels like very much like hypernormalization, like what capital like just necessarily does to you. Like, oh, this is fine. Like the world on fire yeah. meme yeah, this right. is fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, so this is more of this fascinating, and I, I feel like these little short these excerpt things de deserve a lot more attention than we are able to give them in a podcast format because they probably require would be require a lot more call for a lot more thought careful thought and careful writing and then we can do it in just merely in conversation but yeah 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 and i think that there's an interesting i mean we haven't talked you know we've like gestured to but we haven't talked a ton about the sort of like strain of like mm. um thinking about the brain and like the biologic we've talked a little bit about this in humans uh i mean in the book you know thinking about biology in human biology uh i mean i think part of what matters here is like and and that kind of unifies this section that we're talking about is the emphasis on like um you know human uh what like human mental life as emergent out of um sets of organic conditions that we share that we share with animals particularly particularly with our mammalian kin but also with other kinds of animals as as well right and that's like a that is kind of a motif through this a motif through this section and i wonder yeah i wonder too if it's also worth thinking about that in relation to not only so we we share these brain structures and capacities with other animals but we also share them with past humans from yeah. like millennia ago for like since the dawn of time and that's worth thinking about maybe too in relation to that stuckness that we feel like that is this stuckness a you know a historical condition or is it a biological one and how do we bridge that gap right 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 and how can we know right when our you know when our stories about how we got from a to b are mostly like so incredibly bad right or mostly told in order to tell us that like it's just like natural that we ended up under capital yes know? exactly right. i really want to read that new david wengro um david graver book yeah me too me too okay it's supposed to be coming in the mail we'll talk oh, about neat. it when it comes okay i'll get my i'll get mine too we'll read that for sure it's <laughs> another 700 page book that will take a year and a half to read it's incredibly long but i that is on that is on my actual read list okay unlike the idea that i'm going to reread part of marxism and form which i'm not going to do but you know okay well we'll get to that spoiler alert for the end of the episode Spoiler alert <laughs> jameson uh, jameson alert <laughs> this 12 is a list of great um synonyms for boredom or flavors of boredom i guess yeah yeah black um, the black dog uh hikikomori um and i love the lists like this like yeah you know the the eskimo names for snow uh <laughs> lists yeah, yeah, for boredom yeah. that we have right boredom depression blackness grief um yeah and also just like the interesting idea of the all of those feelings just like sliding into each other and yeah. so who then like you know do we take that list as speaking to us as sort of this is, i don't think we need to try to work this out but you know you could think about that list as speaking to the previous chapter right this stuff about like the brain and the brain's plasticity and how it can be altered in certain kinds of ways as well as as well as it's sort of like you know um 
animal nests. Or you can think about that list also as pointing toward we're getting to the next chapter, which is Swan in Africa, where she is just like frustrated. And we did talk about this a bit. We talked yeah. about it last time, right? That, you know, here she is on the bad planet. She's really stuck on this idea of like making housing, but she's also like her own bad mood and her frustration with the situation is also making her extremely bad at this kind of like one woman NGO project that she uh, is doing, you know, um, and so she comes to feel that she's being frustrated by Africa itself. Whereas it really seems like that's not what it is. It's that like, you know, you're not doing a good job of working with other people. Um, you're depressed. Um, you see Earth Earth as just like, you know, both potential and terrible, terrible problem. Um, and also you're basically like trying to, you know, foist like what you think would be like beautiful housing on a bunch of people who haven't had a chance to say that that is what they want, right? Right. It's funny too, because... Um that you know it, um going back to the previous one like waram in africa i think is what it was um he gets pissed off at her and like leaves and and goes to america and because she's just like on you can't even like deal with her because she's so frustrated and lashing out at everybody and of course from for her from her perspective on the first page of swan in africa she says um waram would have been uh, would have been better for stuff like this, but he had flown off to America, frustrated like so many before him by irrefragable Africa. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. she's attributing his frustration to her frustration of with with Africa, which is actually like also misplaced. But she's doing a double misplacement here because he was just like looking at her and being like, "This woman's lit out of her mind. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm out of here." Um, so which is so yeah there's a, this double displacement of of her uh, of her you know actual like you know where her actual frustrations lie and then again on the next page or like in the next kind of couple paragraphs after that she's pissed off at all these earthlings who all they do is stare at their screens living in boxes inside of other boxes staring at other boxes they don't even look up at the at the sun anymore. They don't even look up at the sky or the stars anymore. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, I live in a very small city and I cannot see the stars. Like the light pollution from just human like electrified civilization makes that impossible anyway. So like, what are you again? Like you're just lashing out at things and and utter projection on on her part in a way. And I think so. We the the like the event of the chapter is that like while attempting to um, uh, right uh, the replicator machine that they're using, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, it's called a hanger. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that they're using to build the housing like is um, apparently sabotaged. Like maybe an organized sabotage. Although we don't learn a ton about that. Um, and rather than um, rather than doing what it's supposed to be doing and making housing, it just is like crunching around and like going uh, uh, crashing through like a, a um, wealthy suburb. While Swan is to try to stop it, and you know Pauline is able to like give her the code that lets her override it. Um, but basically, like it's already fucked up a bunch of things. Uh, uh, Swan gets arrested and has to be bailed out by Waram. So, you know, we have this kind of like moment of like, you know, 
here's like the dramatization or the um or what like the making literal of like how her good intentions are also just like you know kind of fucking things up in a sort of out of control way or like people's general good intentions are like making a hash of things um but i wanted to say after that bit when so waram comes and gets her gets her out of there um uh so they have a conversation so this is on in my version it's on 448 so don't know where it would be in your version um uh and moram is saying kind of like gently so maybe um maybe uh the focus on housing has been a little misguided it's very waram like he's being diplomatic with her and he's not saying your focus on housing uh maybe people like to feel like they've had a hand in building their homes which indeed you might you might really think um and swan says i don't think that people care who builds it and he says well but in space we do why not why not here and then she says, because when your home can fall apart and kill you and your kids just because it rains, then you're happy to see a machine replace it with something better. You don't need to worry about feelings until your material needs are met. You know that. The hierarchy of needs is a real thing. Um, but granting that, Maram said, which I do, there have been a lot of complaints about our, our efforts. So this is part of him, like, you know, wanting to try to, like, get her to sort of, like, switch paths, right? But this is also this, I think this moment in which she's like, no, there's a hierarchy of needs and everybody just responds to the hierarchy of needs and like shelter is a really primary one. So you don't care where your shelter comes from if your old shelter was bad. And that's just not true, right? That is like, uh, you know, whatever you think about the idea of the hierarchy of needs, like it, it isn't the case that you just want to like live in whatever space another person will give you, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think that this is a really like, so we have this, like, they have this kind of debate about the home, and then he's going to sort of, like, shift this to saying, like, look, what, we should maybe think about things like landscape restoration or what we've been doing in Florida, which is, like, basically terraforming, you know, is terraforming. We're, we're like, building a whole new Florida, a new, quote-unquote, Florida, where the old Florida was. And these are these are places where people can really get involved locally, and they're really complex projects, you know, Um but what's interesting to me here is like, so we have this question of need that's raised, right? Like what is needed? And like, if you could fulfill, you know, like what does it take to fulfill needs, right? And then we have that raised in relation to the question about like what constitutes home for people, you know? And there's this idea, right? You know, Swan is like, oh, people just need places to live. And Maram says, oh, I think people need a hand in the in you know they need to feel that they have a hand in making those places and then is that the same are those the same sets of like feelings or needs do those feelings or needs like translate into questions about like landscape restoration about terraforming terraforming earth right like are those also scenes of like home building um you know anyway i think that's an interesting thing that's happening here yeah yeah but the idea behind landscape restoration like combining these things is that like it has to be done locally. Um, it is complex work that requires dedication and some amount of creativity that requires also a lot of people. Like it's a mass right. project, mass project, which yeah. is important because, you know, so much of, you know, what we talked about with, <laughs> with in shaman about, 
um, the onset of like civilization. We talked about de-skilling. We talked about, um, and we all we always talk about sort of delegation of responsibility and like kind of the the auto like well or also just like automation as like flattening out any kind of responsibility or like personal um, uh, investment in trying to. Right make something yourself like build the future and like this is all part of like a like big d democracy or capital all capital letters democracy or whatever <laughs> not demo not anyway yeah you see what i'm saying like actually people actually like building the future for themselves and not having it built for them having not merely representation but um efficacy and agency in their own lives individually and as a collective like that kind of thing um, and it seems like for this novel, landscape restoration is, you know, posited as one of the the answers to, to that. And right, because like it can be a collective project and like the collective work, right? Yeah, which exactly like I think it matters that it's like um, not only that it's local, but also that it's complex. It's hard to do. It clearly mixes together all a variety of different kinds of work, right? From like, you know, really like, you know, um, you know, man, from manual labor to like um, extremely complicated kinds of brain work, complicated manual labor, complicated kinds of brain work, all of that thing, all of that stuff has to be mixed in together in those projects. But it's also that like what makes them effective, I think part of the idea here is what makes them effective is like rather than going into it with an idea like of what needs will be fulfilled, like people working together, people engaged together in a project can co-constitute their needs and how to fulfill them right you know in right. fact you know that like that is like what what it is that you are working toward can emerge out of the very fact that you're working together right, right. and that's the kind of i mean so you know it it's an interesting kind of so one of the things that we like get to in here um is it in this section where it's not in this it's not in this section but somewhere in this in this part of the book right we get i think we're wrong but maybe it's a narrative voice saying right everything is a park the world has become a park is that in yes this um it's coming up uh it's uh it's swan in the wolves yes yes yes, yes and it's yes. on it's on my 403 which is the uh, many sections it's the section that begins Got um yeah that night most of the caribou were ahead of her if the line of caribou migration was to be established for good and the entire zone made into a habitat quarter then the land itself would have to be changed as it had been before again humans would be altering it all earth was a park now a work of art shaped by artists this new alteration was just one more stroke of the brush so you know um uh, and and we're and we see we've already seen that idea in the idea that like Florida has been drowned, and the remaking of Florida is really you know a making, not a re, not a remaking, right? Um, that is, you know, you've begun to imagine what an, something Earth-like is, and you're making you know you're making Earth, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, obviously this is something that we have to think more about, but I'm just thinking about the idea of um, uh, in, so in ministry, the, again, I don't think that this spoils anything about, about 
uh, ministry, but also in New York 2140, we have the idea of the wildlife corridor, right? So like a set aside. Um, and sometimes the wildlife corridor is talked about as like what, what happens in that, what would happen in such spaces? Well, they would like return to nature. Um, and so there's this idea, I mean, and sometimes, and I think this is also like, you know, um, sometimes like called like rewilding, right? Um, and so like the idea of the return to nature or the making something wild, allowing something to become wild again is like, oh, there's humans have been removed from the process, right? Um, and so it is, so like, this is a different idea than, than conservation in which like, you know, oh, what we do is we like create some kinds of like barriers, both like physical and, and legal usually in order to like um, preserve or conserve like, you know, this place that is then understood to be wild, right? Um, like those ideas, you know, I, I think do tend to, I mean, I think the idea of rewilding or the idea of the wildlife corridor, like, you know, um, holds on to this sort of claim that like, there is something that is like nature that is outside of the human. Um, and just because it's alongside the human, as in the idea of a corridor, um, doesn't make it like, doesn't interpenetrate, you know, somehow it can still just be like natural. It can just be nature, right? Um, and there is something that's like disturbing about the idea of the whole earth as a park, right? I mean, and that we talked about a little in Years of Rice and Salt in that incredibly beautiful passage with whoever it is. Um, the Kerala. The Kerala. Um, you know, uh, that, like that, the, and, but that's a vision of like cultivation. And here's a kind of vision of like a sort of acknowledgement that like indeed, like, you know, landscape is made by humans, like right. through our aesthetic sense, through our contact with it, whatever. And also, by the way, like, you know, those places like, you know, those conserved pieces of land also like, were also spaces of human life and human making long before like settler colonialism anyway, right? Right. But, but you know, so I don't know, I, this is a really, this is what, this is really fascinating to me in this book, right? Because like, because we have this sort of, we have this far future world where like people can do super body mods and like, you know, and are functionally immortal or like pretty darn close to it. Um, and like everybody, everybody, if you're a spacer, like you can basically be an artist unless you live on Venus, in which case you are like a suffering proletarian, but otherwise, you know, like you have or a mafioso. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, you have this capacity, this incredible capacity for like creative making all the time. Right. And I think often in far future SF that, that includes those kind of like features that are sometimes referred to as like the post-human, you know, we have a kind of gleeful abandonment of like the idea of nature at all, right? Um, and here, I think we actually get something that is a really like interesting kind of like critical and I think unresolved relation to the idea of wildness, the idea of nature, um, you know, so these are not parks like they're going to be tame and safe. And it's not that things are going to be unchaotic or like non-contingent because in fact, like, you know, what we're getting to the release of the animals on earth is like completely chaotic. It's a completely, it's not completely right. chaotic in that the animals are going to find, they're going to do the things that animals do, but like it creates a whole lot of chaos, right? right. Um, you know, and yet like there is this sort of like very complicated acknowledgement of like the planetariness of the planet 
as being something that human beings are just like, we are not separate from that. And that includes we're not separate from that in our like constant making of it, both through need and desire and, and, you know, imagination. And the key to remember too, is that, um, and, and I think the proximity of this book to shaman is really important because we see in shaman, the way that humans build the landscape. We see in shaman, the way Mm. that they have created caribou corridors to slaughter Mm. the caribou during the season when they harvest these wild animals so that even you know, quote unquote, caveman or prehistoric man or whatever, even they did this, like the controlled burns that the Native Americans did all over North America, that once the Native Americans were the indigenous community was destroyed by European, you know, uh, colonialism and disease, the temperature of the earth dropped because so much of the vegetation grew back. Um, This is something that the world, the whole world has been a park or rather like the better way to put it is there is no difference between being a park and being wild with in a world where humans exist. And part of the challenge that we face in um, solving the ecological crisis is in coming to terms with the fact that we do in fact, that we're not like, yeah, that we are part of the earth system Um, and that we do have a massive amount of control over it um, to the extent that we can visualize it as a park uh, or a canvas where we can paint, but that also that that process of making, of making parks, of making art is one that does involve um, chaos and contingency as well. So it's like this, this is part of the spell of kind of modernity or capitalism that we have to break ourselves from in terms of thinking about everything as either totally under control or everything as totally chaotic and one is nature and one is culture. And we, we are, you know, irrevocably, irrevocably moving away from one and toward the other. Um, No, there is no distinction between those two and our like being on this planet is a kind of like transcendence of both of those false concepts, untruth, untrue concepts in the first place. And I think that, yeah, I think that the, um, you know, part of the, um, there's a great passage in, in here a little later on about, um, uh, the sort of, you know, co-evolution of of wolves and humans together. Right. Right. Um, and, and as I think, you know, part of part of this sort of like fantasy is uh oh but we we humans made this and what that means is that we have something like total control over it right and of course like that's that is simple that's just like another way of denying of being unable to think like let's just say like environmentally or like ecologically right because like that making comes you know that making is like a multi-species effort and that multi i mean as in the example right of like you know controlled burns right or like in you know british columbia right now like these insane uh insane mudslides that are falling on forest fires right and they're the reason that's happening is because like uh um you know the systems of tree roots that like held 
uh, you know, that are holding the earth in place are gone, right? Blah, 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 blah. Like, but to, to understand that, like, you know, this is, these are like co these are like multi-species co-productions. And the species here include, you know, like include like um, whatever microscopic things and include like trees and plants too, you know? So the kind of like, um, I don't know, there's something in that, that this is the kind of, uh, you know, that both like to understand like uh, the human presence and at the same time not to overinflate the human presence is like right. a really difficult, difficult yeah. thing to do. But then that's true even in the moment of like, um, uh, uh, that's true even in the moment of like imagining the rebuilding of, of a drowned Florida, right? That that just like, that doesn't have like, it may be that like groups of humans are going to get together and like make that happen, but like their work with the materials, you know, both non-living and living, like is work with those materials, right? It doesn't right. Mean, right. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Exactly. I really I like that part of this book, and I think it's I think it is quite I think it plays out in a really interesting way here. That is actually a little bit different than some of the things that you might think in relation to like the idea of the wilderness corridor. For example. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Short version uh, of what I was saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that the wilderness, like, uh, yeah, like thinking through the concept of the wilderness corridor um as a space or as a kind of construct or whatever is really worthwhile in in this and this and in relation to yeah it, it as it falls between kind of his various books too as it falls between shaman and ministry and 2312 yeah we yeah. skipped over lists which is a great list of um animals mammals oh, and, and also the mo this part is like incredibly tragic right mm -hmm. yeah the list of mammals, like, uh, it is not true that every mammal larger than a rabbit is endangered on Earth. Most are only, <laughs> uh, I mean, really, and and this, I do think there's something nice and there's something nice and interesting in this section also about, like, just thinking about mammal, mammalness, mammalianness. Right. Um, and then that's, that list ends with biggest orders are this listing of the orders, all fall down, please come back. Right. Um, and you know the all fall down can get rewritten when we start thinking about animals falling from the sky in in their balloon bags. But right, also, Jesus, this is like a, that is like a devastating, yeah. But know. also, like, please come back is like an interesting, you know, we would in, in this circumstance people would feel it that way. But these animals, all, as much as they've been preserved, they're actually an, an inoculation of a new of a new thing. Yeah. Like this is the new thing. Yeah. Um, that takes place. So there's like also that <clears throat> that level of even within the novel, like this misprision or something, this like not seeing like assigning a category, like come back. They're not coming back. They left. They're gone. They're extinct. These are brand new things that were preserved for like a hundred, a couple hundred years in these asteroids. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, I think that's such an interesting. So like. I mean, first of all, the image, so at the beginning of the chapter called Swan and the Wolves, um, you know, and before we hear anything about like who made this happen, we just know that Waram has said to Swan, we should do it. We should have the revolution. And you know how the revolution will happen? It's going to happen by bringing the animals back, which yeah, is right. just, like amazing. I mean, for all, if you think about all of the like thinking about like what a revolution is and how it happens in the Mars books, 
like to say that a revolution is going to happen by returning animals to earth is like both um funny and extraordinary right at the same time the image of it like i mean this is just like an amazing image you know um uh, when they got within a few hundred meters of the ground, every lander disintegrated into thousands of aerogel bubbles drifting down, each transparent bubble a smart balloon holding inside it an animal or animal family. What the animals thought of it was anyone's guess. Some were struggling in their aerogel, others looked around as placid as clouds. The west wind had its effect and the bubbles drifted east like seed pods. Um, Swan looked around, trying to see everywhere at once, sky all strewn with clear seeds, which from any instance were visible, distance were visible only as their contents, so that she drifted eastward and down with thousands of flying wolves, bears, reindeer, mountain lions. There she saw a fox pair, a clutch of rabbits, a bobcat or lynx, a bundle of lemmings, etc. I mean, like, uh, a, a dream image, a fairy tale image you know yeah. a child's a child's wish right yeah moment, you know i like there's one there's one bubble she sees where a crane is attempting to fly inside the bubble inside or something it's yeah. very funny um and and there's sea creatures too right like yeah into the seas splash dolphins and whales tuna and sharks mammals birds fish reptiles amphibians all the lost creatures were in the sky at once in every country every watershed Many of the creatures descending had been absent from Earth for two or three centuries. So that takes it right back to our mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. Now all back all at once. Yeah, exactly. So like, is this a return? It's not exactly a return, you know. Uh, the Earth has also been completely changed since right. these guys, quote, left, right? Um, you know. Yeah, and also all the people on Earth are not, no one's 300 years old on Earth, so to them it's not a return at all. It yeah. is much more like an alien invasion. But they also couch it in those terms, too. I don't know if that's in the extracts, in the next, in extract 16. I think it, I think it is where they say, you know, this was really an alien invasion rather than a, a return or something. For some, pe for some people it was. Um, we have this... Uh, not sure where that was. It might be in extracts, or maybe we hear some of that here. Um, here's the line about the, the thing that I was saying about coevolution. She knew that humans had made wolves more human, and thus dogs, and thus dogs. And in that same time period, wolves had made humans more wolfish by teaching them pack behaviors. None of the other primates had friends that were not kin for interest. Humans had learned that from watching wolves. The two species had at different times scavenged each other's food they had learned each other's hunting methods they had short co-evolved and now the mm -hmm. primates were bringing back the other half of the family i mean that idea of like you know uh humans is having had to uh uh learn how to have friends who aren't kin is just like a really beautiful mm -hmm. a beautiful thing to say but again like it's this interesting you know swan says over the radio like god's children are home at last right um uh, and we have this idea, right, of like, you know, the multi the multi species family, right, that we are, we, you know, um, or that we have, we have, we have friends who are not our kin, and those are like animals, right? Um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's fascinating. So I mean, one of the things that I was, I think we talked about a little bit before we, um, not before this recording session, but before we recorded the last episode when we were going to talk about this, 
is like how to think about this dropping of the animals onto earth right because like um it's a radical act we don't know where it comes from you know we hear at some point that like probably this really was sort of the plan that alex had um and we hear at some point that there was some cooperation with some governments but not other governments and the animals of course are not respecting borders and they are as they're doing this like you know um the landscape is also being completely transformed at least where we where we are we're seeing like wheat growing land like um plowed down charged through the, by the animals but also being plowed down in order to allow it to return uh, to return that is to become again like the landscape it was before it was used for growing wheat right so like yeah i mean i don't know what kind of revolution uh, is it yeah i mean well i think that the answer is it becomes a lot more clear in x in the next chapter in extract 16 but just to um hazard a to hazard a guess before we get into extract 16 or or or, or a response is that um i mean yeah with the world already under total revolution right it, de facto because the taiga is becoming wheat fields because things can't grow in places they used to because they're trying to grow a cold resistant version of of rice that's not really working because they're already trying all of these things to keep the earth alive um or viable to put all these new to insert all of this all of this chaos universally so it, it, it is is another kind another kind of like revolution that whoever is in power on earth is sort of powerless to stop right but they're powerless to stop it in a universal way in in, in other words like if these animals are falling onto the earth all over the earth on land as well as in the sea birds are repopulating every all all animals are coming back that means like it actually does unite the world in a kind of collective project mm -hmm. um that you know different whatever different governments can respond to in different ways and different individuals can respond to in different ways they're shooting some of the animals out of the sky some people are welcoming them whatever but it at the very least is like a common global experience that they all have to kind of deal with together and maybe that's like too utopian to uh say that because in especially in light of the global pandemic we're living through which is not being treated as a universal thing at all in so many ways yeah um but maybe that maybe that is a kind of because then again like going forward into extract 16 we do see how varied the response is to the event itself and then also to the kind of understanding of the event that the understanding of the event that it's understood as a return a repopulation finally the word reanimation is landed on as a kind of thing that we can understand it or or you know term that we can assign that we can understand it through that term um but that by no means is it like a um you know it's a universally experienced thing but it's no by no means a universally understood thing i guess yeah i was thinking about like so one um one that idea of reanimation like 
also suggests the sort of like reanimation of human life too you know so some of this seems to work in this kind of like um uh calling people's attention back to something you know right but not in a not in a sort of like um not in the way that like propaganda or or ideology does but calling people's attention back to some, i mean although obviously like both of those things are in are in circulation too right you know well rom has like you know is pleased that like one of the things that he wrote up is being quoted on the news or whatever but like um but calling people's attention back to something like in this like experiential way and i think uh -huh. you're right some of it is like shared experience some of it is maybe like the activation of like um a thing that was gone that you didn't even know to mourn you know right you noticing it wasn't there right um but some of it seems to me to be like and this i do think is a kind of um this is a tactic within a certain kind of like you know scene of like insurrection or maybe scene of of revolution is just the introduction of like a lot of chaotic elements that can't be um managed or controlled in expected ways right there's a kind of situationist aspect to this like it is another art it is an art project and i think that you know where we were i think where we were planning on ending was in the lists 14 which is in a list of um landscape art yeah. installations and i think that that's that's probably the right way to think about it is that it's an art revolution an artistic revolution as much as it is a scientific revolution which is what which we've talked about a lot as kind of a central theme that emerges after after much discussion that has emerged in many of his novels which is like the, the unification of science and art right. like the appreciation that we live on a kind of work of art and that um science can help us appreciate art better and art and an artistic aesthetic sensibility can help us understand the kind of scientific wonder uh of just existence in general um as well so that they're again just like nature and culture are this like false dichotomy science and art are also this false dichotomy as well yeah, I mean, and here you have like, yeah, you know, the like, um, uh, something that really like can't be can't be controlled, you know, and it can't be right. controlled in all kinds of, um, in all kinds of ways, right? You know, like people can shoot some of the animals down, but this is not going to be just like a generally acceptable thing to do, right? Um, the animals are not going to like start remaking whatever else human beings do. The animals are going to start to remake the the landscape. Yeah, I mean, it is like a sort of um, yeah, it does. It is like a situationist thing, at least in the sort of mode of like you know, under the pavement, the beach. I mean, this is like you know, um, I don't know, on top of the wheat fields, like um, you know, the wolves chase the, <laughs> the caribou, right? Yeah. Except that it's, except that it's actually happening, right? You right. Know, it's like the bringing, and it's also like it's like magic too. You know, I was thinking, yeah. Oh yeah, this is a little bit like, um, it has careful. Uh, it has some of the. It has some of the sort of like weirdo magic of like de-extinction but it's not like a creepy project like de-extinction <laughs> um but it also has some of the kind of like um uh i don't know it has the it has the magic of like um you know i mean it's like a, it's also you know it has the magic of like 
Yeah. Like, just like, what if it turned out that all of those creatures that you thought were extinct, that are extinct, aren't extinct? Right. And more than that, they can come back to you on the, you know, and they can come back and they would still know how to live. Right. Right. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, then like, like the wolves teaching the humans how to be humans and the humans teaching the wolves how to be dogs. Maybe all of our animal cousins can teach, can, you know, help us relearn how to be human beings again. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, once again, like, you know, put pressure on the way in which we think that like, because we're good at making things like we don't have a niche, right? Like we don't have, we don't have an ecology, right? Right. Right. That we're not environmental creatures, you know, like it doesn't matter. We can live anywhere. Yeah. Right. And it is like earth here has reached the point at which like, you know, it's slipping from being like earth into just being a kind of anywhere space. Right. And this also is like, oh yeah, well, this is returning it to being earth. Right. Yeah, it makes me think about the ratio of like um, animal flesh on the planet, like where 98% of it is like animals that are grown to, you know, for humans to eat or, you know, get their products from rather and, and like only like 1% of all biomass is like actually wild. Um, so that like, there's just no nature has like almost no ability like in that way nature has no ability to push back against us in that it i mean at least in a kind of diluted kind of way like we've tamed so much of it or right. just eliminated so much of the wild that you know obviously that's not the case because the wild is coming back with a vengeance in terms of climate change but um right. so extracts 15 do we want to go to extract 16 sure sure Sure. Uh, oh yeah, and then also what's interesting in this one is so not only is it like it kind of describes sort of what happened, which is uh, you know, or, or describes the kind of terms with which humanity came to understand this event, but notes that like the whole event was not properly documented because it took place in secret, and then also sort of the whole solar system was in chaos anyway. So the best way to reconstruct the events was through an oral history rather than a written one. And so history itself has a problem um, accounting for this event that did, that is like the only firm date in the whole book, like August 5th, 2312, right? Yep. Um, so that's kind of really another example of kind of, what like chaos basically or like mm -hmm. the uncontrollability of that there are still certain like contingencies or events that are whose very unaccountability kind of helps to structure a history around them and yeah 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 that um and the the sort of um you know the history can can eventually be written but like the oral history like the oral recounting of things and putting things together from oral accounts like that's is a lot closer to like storytelling than history usually admits to being you know and i think that has something to do with the sort of like fairy tale quality of this but it also has something to do with this idea of like you know rather than coming from you know so even even if there are sources for this and, you know, like, it is impressive that Alex was able to have this plan, like, substantially in advance. And could she have had the plan from the very beginning of the terraria? You know, like, uh, but even if there are, even if there are, like, places where this came from, it's like, you know, 
uh, it's very close to like folk tradition, right? You know, it's close to like a different, you know, um, uh, something that feels like unofficial and passed in between people. Um, and it could get told in different kinds of ways, you know, and that, that feels like it matters a lot to this too, that like, so, I mean, the, um, you know, uh, we can know, we can know a lot about it, but we're knowing about it. Like, um, uh, we, we don't get to tell ourselves that we have the authoritative account, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Which helps to explain a lot about like, yeah, perspective and POV in this novel anyway, yes. when we're with Swan so much, who so often doesn't have a clue of what's really, what's quote unquote really going on, you know? Um, um, I love the, I love the idea that um, some cried invasion, others cried reunion, right. rewilding, assisted migration, the revolt of the beasts. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Just yeah. Awesome hold of the beasts that's what happens when it's it's dinner time and the cats are not being fed <laughs> <laughs> and at some point it was called the reanimation and that term got capitalized and gradually stuck and spread superseding all the west but i think reanimation is a you know a, a rich word to use in that regard because it's you know yeah making creating movement again um re reinvigorating the soul of the earth all of these kinds of like um uh resonances um you can you can draw out of reanimation and and again i think this picks up on something that you were talking about before but um in the paragraph after that many accused the terraria of fomenting revolution on earth others called it an inoculation and there were microbiologists who spoke of reverse transcription the introduction of an in, an inoculant into an empty ecological niche does indeed cause a revolution in the biome rapid change can be chaotic traumatic uh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this is another place where like, um, you know, language that appears to be sort of metaphoric, right. Or figure figurative is also like quite literal, right. I mean, there is mm -hmm. a way in which this is an inoculation, you know, into, into a biome, right. Or into multiple, I guess, biomes, right. Um, uh, that seems like a way of describing it, but that also just literally sort of is what's happening. Um, similarly with the reanimation, which feels like a figurative way to say this, but also like, you know, the animals are reanimating earth, right? right. In, in this actually just like extremely literally, like things are living again, not just the animals, but everything that surrounds them um, that weren't, uh, uh, that weren't living before, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, so... And it's just like, uh, it's as if like part of, part of what's happened is like, um, this kind of like collapsing of these two registers, right. You know, um, which also is a sort of collapsing of like the way one thinks about something with like, you know, the materiality of the thing right here, you know, here they're together. Right. And that's part of like, what is kind of like revolutionary, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the out of controlness of it all. And then at the, at the in the final paragraph of this section, after the reanimation, problems on earth became ecological and logistical, right? I mean, create, you know, like here we're just like in the face of there being big mm. things that you have to do, 
you it turns out you have to do them right became ecological and logistical and focused on transport dispersion mitigation compensation and legal and physical defense <laughs> so like part of it is also like you know oh my god they're actually wolves <laughs> well and that bring that like <clears throat> that like reanimates the question of hierarchy of needs exact exactly Thank like you, friend. <laughs> it, it 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 um it reminds me of like this uh, a story i read about like that town in new hampshire that basically eradicated its own government and like canceled its um garbage collection uh contract so no one was collecting the garbage so the bears came back yep. and yep. like yep. invaded the town and it's like there's no clear solution to how we can get rid of the bears now that we canceled the garbage contract and they've come back because even if we restart the garbage contract the bears are still are like living here now they think it's theirs and it's like this is why you have government so that <laughs> bears go away <laughs> so you can walk down the street without your dog getting eaten by a bear exactly although you don't need government for that you just need to not think that like you know each person is an individual who will do their little individual thing right? whatever you call it right <laughs> i mean what's in a name like let's you know like some kind of collective agreement that hey you know what would be good yeah two good things no garbage no bears uh Yes, yes, exactly. exactly. Let's organize around that. Um, no garbage, no bears. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, but I think you're exactly right that this is like, um, uh, you know, the sort of like the constant, the like turn to concentrating on like what people need. I mean, so the scene, the scene of earth at this point is like, basically like a lot of people who are impoverished right, right. and are living, you know, in extremely marginal ways. And then a minority of people who are like total are completely insulated from mm -hmm. that. Right. And who don't have to like, um, uh, yeah. Who don't have to think about anybody else's needs because also they don't think about their own needs. Cause they're, they don't, they can pretend they don't have needs because their needs are so constantly fulfilled or whatever. Right. Um, which does seem to be the situation that we live in as well, right? So there's something here about the idea. Sounds familiar, yeah. Exactly. Uh, there's something here about the idea of like a kind of shared, a recognition of what's shared around what people need, right? Um, yeah. That's part of what maybe comes in. And then we get that great just like uh, last line. The reanimation itself was not the end of the story. Indeed, many decades were to pass before it was understood to have been a key moment in the eventual yeah yeah eventual what exactly but yeah like um but i love that deferral of utopia too it's like yeah. the eventual moment when we'd come to another existential crisis yeah. because that's just <laughs> exactly. what human being is after the human beings uh re-extincted re all the animals yeah um yeah and they started fighting over uh internet bandwidth about who got to watch the wolverine <laughs> channel <laughs> here on the wolverine channel um uh so yeah so while we were having this conversation swan had fallen down uh into right. um uh, uh trying to rescue a wolf who had fallen down into a hole uh at the top of a small rise um swan herself has fallen into that hole and is uh stuck there with the wolf who she 
charmingly decides will um, they will be able to get along with each other if she is able to make enough bird sounds. <laughs> they're friends. Yeah, they're friends now. Um, and I love the the comedic timing of her conversation with Pauline is like perfectly rendered here. Like, um, you know, can you can you contact my team? No. Pauline, how can I get out of here? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Pauline cuts her off, like exas sounding exasperated, sounding faintly disapproving. Like it's, <laughs> but like, what a great device as like the voice in your head, like your 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 super ego, uh, just telling you like yeah, exactly. your chimney cricket person up there being like you're such a fucking idiot yeah exactly you fell down this hole oh and you dropped your phone at the bottom of the well yeah you <laughs> dropped your phone very very funny i mean and like you know as many things in this novel like you know the perilous the perilous and actually like frightening situation that then really becomes fully comedic when it turns out that like first of all somebody else somebody who tries to rescue her then also falls into right yeah and then they come well rom comes on the helicopter and the two humans are able to climb out and well rom is like i don't know what the wolf is gonna do and the wolf just like you know gets a paw on one of the rungs and then like hurls itself out of the hole. i know i get how ladders work i'm a wolf come on tool, tool using animals yeah tool using animals um yeah like a very charming story and i guess you know short version of this chapter is well ron and swam hook up right they hook up finally like literally hook up they hook <laughs> i was reading that description i was like look i i'm just a kid from orange county i don't understand i mean this is too complicated for me i mean people get up you know what whatever you do in the privacy room that's on you i can't figure i can't figure this stuff that's, out you know yeah you know i'm a real meat and potatoes kind of guy <laughs> <laughs> an old-fashioned pilo erection is <laughs> about all i can muster up these days oh dear god oh god oh um, <laughs> oh my god i want to say so one so yeah that's that that, ha that happens that happened <laughs> um yuck uh womb men and but um so but this chapter is full of other i mean there's a couple things i would point out which is one that that is confusing to me the bubbles of earth lark rise to candleford which is a book by flora not flora candleford flora tristan i think is her name okay tristan, tristan? i think that's right okay i looked it up but then i accidentally wrote flora candleford <laughs> so i'm an idiot um mm -hmm which I don't know that book, but it was also made into a mini series on, on the BBC or something. Yeah. I think it's a kind of like, um, you know, I think it's, it's, I think it's early 20th century, but I could be dating it wrong. I don't know if you have the, I think it was thirties, forties, but. I'm not um, sure. uh, and you know, it's a sort of like reminiscence of like lost country life, right. basically small, right. small town country life, Britain. Um, I have read it, but a very long time ago. I mean, the first thing that comes up is the Hulu series, so yeah, or the the uh, BBC. Flora Thompson. Thompson, sorry, Flora Tristan is somebody else. Sorry. Okay. 
Um, anyway, and it's 1939, 41, 43. Oh, that's later than I thought. Um, obviously. Yeah. Um, Mm. okay so then they're at uh so that was the only question i <laughs> but they you know there's just charming scenes with warham and swan and then they're in a bar in ottawa right. and she's getting drunk having a great conversation with all the roughnecks like yeah exactly canadian slavs um yeah i love the um uh uh swan swan shouting at some point you have to get it no one can be happy until everyone is safe happy one of them says dripping with slavic scorn what's happy we need food the farms in the north give us food you need soil swan said making it a long word with two syllables soil is your food sheer total biomass is your food the animals help make biomass the animals walking right in front of my face there you can't do without them you're hanging on by eating oil you're eating your seed corn if it weren't for the food coming down the elevators from space half of you would starve to death the other half kill each other that's the truth you know it is so what do you need animals i mean i love this like right here you know like she's like you're right up against like the metabolic rift like what right. you need is to be able to like renew the soil that's what's going to happen here these things are not at odds they only seem to be at odds because of how we pulled down all those um wheat fields but also just the um her line that she says multiple times about the horizontal brothers and sisters right incredibly endearing yeah and then, uh we're part of a family swan was insisting now going maudlin the mammal family mammals are an order someone objected mammals are a class someone else corrected we are the class of mammals swan exclaimed and the order is to suckle and to love cheers to this it's that or die our horizontal brothers and sisters we need them we need all of them we're part of them and they're part of us anyway i love it yeah i mean that class good drunk conversation class solidarity with the other animal with the other mammals yeah exactly and I think that one thing that's really interesting, going back to when we started, <clears throat> on the next, in a couple of, a little bit down, the next full paragraph, um, without that, we're worms in a bottle, like spacers in space, everyone laughs. It's true, but here we are, I'm on Earth right now, we're on Earth, you have no idea what a privilege that is, you fucking moles, we're home. And not to spoil the end of the Mars trilogy, but this really resonates strongly against the very end of the mars trilogy the the that final line um which again to kind of yeah bring it back is where you know not that both aren't both aren't very serious works but here there's a response to that mark to that end of that mars yeah. trilogy like the miracle that they're on mars the real you know counter to the, the real antithesis or the real transcendence of that miracle of being on mars is the miracle of being on earth of having a home and of having the only home that is in the world so that that what this book helps to expose is the fantasy of living on mars versus the reality of of this being our only home and and that be that itself being kind of you know obviously something worth you know cultivating yeah, um, yeah 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 right and that for all all of like human like inventiveness and creativity and you know ability to work collectively like 
um, you know, this is like a sort of assertion of, of some kinds of like, you know, facts on the ground. This is the ground that we, uh, this is the ground, not only not, not just like where we happened to be, it's like, you know, yeah. where we must be. I mean, it, it is mm -hmm. interesting because here, you know, I think that this, this section, like, you know, there are like utopian glimmers in, in many ways throughout this book, but like thinking about the um, the animals falling from the sky and then really like the joyous running of the animals, you know, and they're like um, the they're sort of like uh, near immediate, not perfect, but near immediate, like re remaking of the world as 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 the world. Right. As 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 their world, as our world, like it is, hard, you know, like uh, um when you can't like um imagine things like cleared away right when you can't imagine an empty space when you can't convince yourself that there is some space that's empty that then you can just like fill up in whatever way you want like then the future is like a different problem you know right. you can't um you can't wish away the presence of other people as you know has historically <laughs> has historically been the motive for like many attempts to like build new worlds right um you can't wish away history you can't wish away like the mess you you can't fucking wish away like um you know the legacies of like um uh uh of just like say like um pollution and greenhouse gases right i mean and if you can't wish those things away you can't make it empty then you have to work in the fullness of it you know right yeah uh, you know um yeah and it's hard to have any i i think the sort of um you know swans like saying like her insi her insistence on that her drunken insistence in this moment on like we have a reason to be happy to be here right or we have a reason to like um feel like the extraordinariness of what we have uh yeah i think yeah it's great it's yeah great. well on back on my 401 which is in the previous like a couple chapters back uh around where during the release basically um she's following the wolves and um she says seeing uh seeing them run swan howled to herself oceans in her chest they were free on earth that happiness could be so deep it hurt another lesson in learning the world you know this is where we're free this is where the only possibility of freedom is it's that thing of like oh we'll go to mars and then we'll be free of all this stuff it's like you will be the definition of unfree on mars yeah. because elon musk will control every breath you take <laughs> and every drop of water you drink and every drop of water you sweat will be will belong to Elon Musk. There's no more definition of unfreedom than there would be to live in space. The only possibility of freedom is here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And freedom doesn't mean that like, you know, it's all yours or that there are no right. constraints, right? Yeah. It means freedom is obligation. <laughs> Okay. All right. No, no, no. That's we have an obligation to be free. <laughs> um, okay. Wait. Are so? Are we done? Well, we I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of think so. I mean, I think okay. you already pointed us to um, 
lists 14 which is which yeah i mean i think your reading of that was like really seemed really right you know that like we get we get this um you know this is right. like the you know this like list of like uh earthworks and gold worthies and and um all kinds of other ways of like you know uh making with and within landscapes um and then it ends with a quotation from frederick jameson history is a product of labor just like the work of art itself and obeys analogous dynamics so it you know what's interesting about that at the end there is like we get this sort of like you know uh this like listing of these forms of human of making these artworks long sticks woven into semicircular patterns in shallow smooth water leaf lines shifting the leaves from red to orange to yellow to yellow green to green earthworks in long sinuous lines and then that quotation and so you would think that that quotation should be about art right because we've just read this list of all these examples about art but that quotation actually seems to be telling us um uh you know not only that like art is made by labor but that history is made by labor and that there is a shared dynamic between those two kinds of making and without um presuming to explain that it's an interesting note to end the section on if this is the section in which we see the seeds falling from the sky that are going to produce the revolution or we're seeing the revolution or we're seeing like history come back right hmm. yeah 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 for sure yeah so go ahead and read some jameson for next time <laughs> yeah why not <laughs> why not why not um, do it friends do it okay cool um yeah so we'll be back i don't know if we'll be back next week or the week after yeah well yeah exactly we'll have to figure that out we'll have to figure that out but we'll be back eventually and thank you for listening again yes, thank you for listening and, and toler tolerating us yeah um it's good um <laughs> do we have anything to say at the end that's all it's no, been no, so no. long since we've done this so i can't remember no, 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 right. no. yeah yeah uh, yeah send us an email if you want to say hi yeah uh email tweet oh here's beebles and beebles oh. sweetie we'll see you next time yeah we'll 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 hear you next time no you'll hear us next time oh stop it okay bye okay bye